Good morning, Cross Point Church. How are you guys doing this morning? <clears throat> Good. So glad to see you guys here. If you're visiting with us for the first time, thank you so much for being here. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm the executive pastor here at Cross Point. I'm not the lead pastor. Pastor David is actually out of town this weekend, and uh, he's taking some much-needed time away and uh, with his family. He's actually, <clears throat> he, he, he wanted to be clear, he is working some still and, and uh, doing some writing on, on the next series, but also some visioneering and um, but, I, I, you know, in just a few moments, I want to pray for him and just pray for uh, Linnell that they can also nurture their vitality and really spend some time away so they can come back refreshed and uh, ready to go uh, back to work, so to speak. And so uh, I also want to, uh, before we get into the messages, just want to uh, take, you know, time to really focus on one very important thing this weekend as we, uh, as Memorial Day, as we observe this tomorrow. Uh, I know for me personally what, um, <clears throat> as I've been thinking about that the sacrifices of so many men and women, uh, even in my own family, thinking through, um, you know, aunts and uncles and grandfathers and and uh, and others who have given their lives and sacrificed their lives so that we can enjoy the liberties that we have. And so that is definitely something that we need to remember. And in just a few moments, I want to pray and just uh, thank God for those uh, that have sacrificed and have given so much so that we can have so much. And so as we uh, <clears throat> go into the Word today, I or uh, before we pray, I, I want to encourage you guys. We've been going through this uh, study, um, this series called Identity. And so today we're going to be talking about I am a sojourner. And uh, we're going to talk about what that means. And, you know, it's really important that we know our identity in Christ. As every week we've talked about a different aspect or a different facet of our identity in Christ. And so this week we're going to talk about a sojourner, what that means and the promise that comes from that. The, the truth is this world is not our home. Amen. Heaven is our home if we are followers of Christ, and so we have that to look forward to, and with that promise, we should live a certain way, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So with that being said, why don't we just uh, go, to the word, go to the Lord in prayer and just ask Him to continue to be with us. <clears throat> Father, we just thank You for this amazing day that You've given us, Lord, this amazing time of worship already so far, just as we have poured out our hearts to You, Lord. You are worthy. You are worthy of our praise worthy of our adoration, worthy of our honor. And Father, we're just so thankful what you are doing, even as we just uh, have learned all the things that you are doing in the midst of our lives, in the midst of this church and, and the construction. And Father, it's, it's, uh, it's so interesting that sometimes there's so much happening that we can't see, but we know that you are working. You're working in the midst of, of everything. You're working in the midst of our lives. And so Father, I just pray that you would just, uh, as we continue into this time of, of uh, opening your word and, and learning, and Father, that we would Take the truth of your word and apply it to our lives that you would that you would call you have called us to live a certain way. And so, Father, I would just pray for Pastor David and Miss Linnell as they are gone, that you would just encourage them, that you would uh, give them peace and give them rest, that you would just uh, um, fill them up and uh, fill them up to overflowing with your spirit so they can come back refreshed and, and ready to continue again in the work that you've called them to. And Father, even now as we take this time, Lord, just to pause in our service, just to thank you for uh, our men and women at arms who have given their lives as we remember them. Father, we cannot forget the sacrifice that they have made. Father, each and every day we should be reminded by the simple uh, fact of the freedoms that we enjoy. And Father, I pray that we would never take those freedoms for granted, Lord, that we would never abuse uh, the privileges that so many have fought and given their life, maybe given all, so that we can enjoy. And so, Father, uh, even as we go uh, and probably tomorrow as we enjoy uh, time with family and friends and feast and fellowship. I pray also, that, Lord, that, that um, these fallen soldiers would be on our minds and on our hearts and that we would be continually thankful for you and, 
and for them. And so, Father, we just thank you. We pray as we go into this time of the message, Lord, that you would just uh, open our ears, open our hearts, open our eyes to the truth of your word. Father, we, we come, if we leave here unchanged, something is wrong, Lord. And so I pray that you would change our hearts and change our lives this morning. We pray and ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. Ephesians 3, verses 17 through 21. If you guys want to turn there, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you can also look uh, with our app and look through the notes, and we have the verses there, and also we'll have them up on the screen as well. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. You know, as we turn there, uh, it's really interesting. The, uh, the Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter to the Philippians, and he spends all of chapter 3 really kind of laying some groundwork uh, for us at, you know, the first couple of verses of chapter 3, he talks about, he uses these analogies. He uses this example or, or uh, illustration, if you will. First, he talks about an accountant, right? And how he uses the analogy of an accountant to show that there's no amount of human effort that, that we can do. You know, it's not like good works and good deeds equals salvation. He wants to make that very clear. He, so he uses the analogy of an accountant. And then in verses 12 through 16, he uses the analogy of an athlete. Right, And he kind of changes gear and he shows how we as believers in Christ, we are to run the race that God has set for us and run it with endurance, run it with strength. And then, and, and then we come to where we're looking at today, 17 through the end of the chapter, and he uses this analogy of sojourners or, or aliens, if you will. You know, we, this is not our home. This is, this is just a place that we're temporarily passing through. And so with that in mind, as we read this morning, I want you guys to be thinking in those terms. The truth is, each and every day we should live this way, and, but sometimes we don't. And so uh, I want to go ahead and read. Uh, if you guys will read with me, starting in verse 17, it says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Man, what an amazing passage. And, you know, it didn't take me long in looking at this passage to kind of break down. There's really really two main points in the first Verse there in verse 17, Paul, he exhorts us, he commands us, he instructs us that, that we need to follow his example, right? And he goes on and he says, and he goes on to say, there are going to be bad examples in life and there are going to be good examples in life. And that's what we're going to look at this morning is those, exa- those bad examples and those good examples. You know, in, in this life, it's been said for believers, this world is as close as you will ever get to hell. And for non-believers, this is as close as you will ever get to heaven, Think about that for just a second. It's a sobering thought. The truth is, we are just sojourners in this world. If we are called by Christ, if we have the gift of the Holy Spirit within us, we are just sojourners. We, this, this time and this moment we have in this life is just a, a, a blip, if you will, on the, in the radar of history. And this glorious truth should help us set a path forward. And that's really what this passage is talking about. So the first thing I want you guys to see here. A sojourner does not focus on earthly things. Read with me again, verses 17 through 19. It says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, 
walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. You know, before, as we kind of dive into this, as we talk about this, I think it's something that's really interesting that Paul points out right at the beginning. And I think it's a very good thing for us to kind of focus on. And sometimes we read through Scripture and we miss things like this because we don't really take the time to read it. But I love the first thing he says there. He says it's an invitation to join together in imitating him. And here's the thing. Sometimes we read passages like this where Paul says, imitate me. You know, and he tells the Corinthians, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And sometimes the temptation for us is to think, well, who is this guy? He's kind of prideful, you know, but it's very, you really have to understand Paul's heart here. He's not saying, he's not saying, he even says, not that I've already attained it. I've not already, I've not figured all this out. He says, I am following after Christ and you follow after me. What he's really saying to us here is we need to do this together. Join together in following out and, and pursuing Christ together. He even goes on to say in the next couple of words there, and he says, And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Again, he's not just elevating himself. He's saying there are examples out there in this world, godly people who follow after God, and you need to follow after them too. And let's do this together. The truth is, in this world, we cannot make it alone. As sojourners, as journeymen, as journeywomen, as travelers in this world, we cannot do it alone. We have to do it together. And that's really what this really kind of sets up and shapes for us all the way at the very beginning here. And I love this word that he uses. I said it, he says, and those who walk according to the example you have in us. You'll see the word walk twice in this passage. And here's the first time it says, those who walk according to the example you have in us. And this word walk, or excuse me, this word example, it really kind of paints this picture for us, if you will. You know, back in those days, they had stone, uh, they lived in stone homes, stone houses, and a lot of those houses would have arched doorways, and there would be a stone at the very top, right? And many people would take that stone, and they take a chisel, and they take a hammer, and they tap the name or the initial of their first name. In other words, and that's the word that's talking about here, this, this type or this example, it's this making a mark, making a lasting impression that everyone that lived in this house would know who these people are. And that is what God is calling us to do, that we need to live a life that everybody knows who we are, who we belong to, whose house we live in. And here's the thing, you guys, we need to set good examples. We need to be good examples, and we need to follow after good examples together. Because the next thing we see here is that there are going to be many, many bad examples. Read with me again. <clears throat> Excuse me. In verse 18 it says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you again, even with tears, walk as enemies of the, of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. There are many enemies of Christ. The truth is, there's only a few good examples in the world of, excuse me, of people that we should follow after. There are many examples and many, many enemies of the cross of Christ. And here's the thing that I had to ask myself, well, who, I said to myself, self? Who are these enemies that God is talking about here? You know, it, uh, because there's a whole lot of options to choose from. Is Paul talking about these are the enemies of Christ, those who are persecuting the church? I don't think so. 
Is he talking about the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, the, and those that, that were challenging each and every day and every opportunity that they had? I don't believe so. I don't even think that he's talking about the general, everyday, ordinary, average unbeliever, someone who hasn't accepted Christ yet. I believe what's really important to understand here is Paul is talking about these enemies of the cross of Christ are people in the church who are professing Christ with their mouth, but their hearts and their lives are far from God. Many in the church who profess with their mouth, but deny him with their lives, leading people away. That's a very troubling, sobering thought to think. Look at the description of these enemies as he talks about them. And here's, by the way, here's one of the reasons why I think that these are people in the church, because Paul weeps for them. His heart is broken for them. Because they're so close. They're not persecutors of Christ. They're not the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They're not even unbelievers. They're people that are living in the church, that are growing up in the church. People that are going to church week in and week out. Checking off the box. But that's all it amounts to. These people are far from God and his heart is breaking for them. Look at the description he says in verse 19. Their end is destruction. You know, Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, he, he uses this parable to help us understand something about the church, and it's the parable of the wheat and the tares. Have you guys ever heard this parable? I'm going to paraphrase it for you guys. It's really easy to understand there. There's the wheat, which is useful and good, right? Wheat makes bread and flour and all sorts of good stuff, all the stuff that I love, you know? And uh, so wheat is great. And then there's these things called tares. And the interesting thing about tares is they're basically just weeds, but they look so much like wheat, and the interesting thing, whenever you look at this parable, it says an enemy came into the master's, into his field, and he planted, he planted these seeds of these tares amongst the wheat. And the workers, they come to the master, and they say, should we go and tell, tear them all up and just tear everything down? He says, no. Let them grow up amongst the wheat. He said, because at a certain time, he says, I'm gonna take, we're going to take them, we're going to separate the wheat and the tares, the wheat and the chaff, and we're going to burn up. They will be destroyed, and the wheat will be useful and good again. The, their end is destruction. The second thing it says, he says, their God is their belly. You know, you get this picture, of they're, they're ca- characterized by this appetite for sin that cannot be controlled. They, they eat with no satisfaction. They drink with unquenched thirst. They act with just no satisfaction. I mean, it really kind of paints the picture. You guys have heard that song? I can't get no. That'll be in your head all day. You're welcome. Can't get any satisfaction. And what does it say? The song says, and I try, and I try. And that's what we do. We try, and we try, and we try to build. We try to find satisfaction in the things of this earth. And they try to find satisfaction. Their God is their belly. It's an unquenchable thirst. It's an an unsatiable appetite. And nothing can satisfy it. And it goes on to say, and here's the question we have to ask. How does this happen? How does this happen in the church? In this last part of verse 19, it kind of reveals to us 
with minds set on earthly things. They have become enemies of the cross of Christ because their minds are set on earthly things. They've lost sight. They've lost focus on what God has called them to be and what God has created them to be. I love uh, Second Peter. He says that we are, we are sojourners and exiles in this world. You know, what, what a dangerous place to be to have your mind set on earthly things. What a dangerous place for us to be. You know, the reality is there's many believers in this world right now, right in this moment, who are living their lives out in other places in the world that live in true danger the danger of imprisonment, the risk of physical bodily harm, the, the, the real threat of even imprisonment or losing their life. People all over the world are facing these sorts of dangers, but not here, not in America, not in the West. I stand before you guys today and I preach to you guys with no fear. I preach the gospel with boldness and with no fear because there's no thought in my mind that when I leave this place, I'm going to be in prison or that my family might be harmed. None of you guys, when you leave here, are going to be running for your car because the police might arrest you or hiding in fear of retribution. So many believers around the world, they face these real-life dangers each and every day, and we don't face these dangers, but I believe we face an even greater danger. We face the danger of having our minds set on earthly things and becoming, just like these, enemies of the cross of Christ. This should be a terrifying thought for us. We find ourselves in this place because the reality is I think every single one of us in this room can become just like them. That we can have, we can be so focused on the things of this earth that the things of heaven seek, they, they, they cease to satisfy us. We become, essentially, we become friendly with the world. When was the last time that we spent unadulterated time with God? And I mean unadulterated time with God. Not time with God until that Facebook notification comes off or you get this chat on whatever. When was the last time we spent Time with God, just in talking with Him, praying with Him, hearing from Him. The truth is, our lives are so busy. We, I hear it every single day. We're so busy. We have kids, and we have school, and we have sports, and we have jobs, and we have lives, and we got retirements to look for. We have all these things, all these things of the world that consume us. And after a while, we realize that we're getting more and more friendly with the world. James chapter 4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This ought to be a terrifying truth to us because it could be any one of us. The truth is, it is some of us in this room. I am not so foolish to think that we're the only church in the whole world that's got it all right. And everybody here is here for the right reasons. And nobody is here just checking off a box. And nobody is here so consumed with the world. Nobody is here sitting, talking to your spouse or to whatever about what you're going to do for lunch. What you're going to do with your life. How are you going to get that next pay raise? Consumed with all of that. 
Now, if we stop right here, this will be a pretty big downer of a message. Amen? I'm so thankful we don't have to stop right here. The next couple of words is my next point. A sojourner lives expectantly for heaven. I love this first word in verse 20. It says, but. Man, that is a big but. Get your mind out of the gutter. This is really important. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The great hope that we have here, you see, we don't just stop on a bad note and say, well, we're just all in trouble. We're all just really in terribly bad shape. The truth is, he goes on to portray a hope for us that if we really take into account this hope, it should fill us with praise. In just a few moments, we're going to sing and we're going to worship, and I hope that this hope that we're going to discuss changes the way that you praise God. It changes everything. This hope that this home is not our home, this place, this world is not our home, that heaven is our home. Here's that first Peter again. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And this is not a new concept. All the way back in the Old Testament, you know, we've got Abraham who was called to another land, to a promised land. Hebrews 11 it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him as of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Looking forward to the city who has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The truth is, we are not made for this world. We will never feel really at home in this world. Why bother trying? We will never be truly accepted in this world. The truth is, if you are accepted by this world, something is wrong. We will never be loved by this world, and this world will never love us. We can never be satisfied by this world. I love C.S. Lewis. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. This world will never satisfy us because we were not made for this world. The things of this earth, as much as we try to focus on it, will never satisfy. Continue to read with me in verse 20. I love this. He says, and from it we await a Savior. In other words, our home is not here. It's heaven. And from heaven we await a Savior. The, the word, that, there's like a $10 Greek word. It's about 13 syllables. You know, I'm not even, I don't even know if I can say it right. You know? But the point is, this word really doesn't draw. It, the, the English word is just wait. You know, I remember like watching like movies when I was growing up. I love like 
um, you know, like kung fu movies and stuff like that, and where they talk, and you watch them talking, and you know, whatever Asian dialect they're talking in, and then they translate it to English, but the lips are totally off, right? And that's kind of what I picture this long word just to describe weight. And I almost think it doesn't do it justice because it really doesn't paint the picture for us of waiting eagerly and expectantly for Jesus who is coming for us. The truth is, in order for our salvation to be fulfilled, in order for us to be made fully right with God, He must return. He's coming back for us. And I love this because it kind of points out we need to wait expectantly. We, you know, sometimes we, when we hear waiting, we have this picture of sitting in a doctor's office, reading those 10-year-old magazines and trying not to fall asleep and waiting and waiting and waiting. It's why we never go to the doctor, right? Because it's so long of a wait. But that's not what this is. We need to wait expectantly. We need to wait eagerly because we know what's coming. It's not a prostate check that's coming. It is heaven. It is being in the presence of God forever. That is what we have to look forward to. And I love that. We don't just have that to look forward to, but look at this in verse 21. We read, who will, be tra- who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. The promise that when Jesus comes, when he returns, we'll be utterly changed. In a moment, we'll be radically changed so that we can bear fully the glory of God. In other words, we'll be made like our bodies would be made like into his glorious body. We'll be able to experience heaven finally whenever he comes, whenever he returns, whenever he transforms us. You know, in this, in this moment, this body that we have, this sinful, decaying body, this body that speaks harsh words from our mouths and our eyes look and see evil, sinful things and we do with our hands and with our feet evil things. This body that's prone to sin and subjected to sin will be transformed in a moment. This is the, beauty, the beautiful picture and it will be replaced with this transformed body with no sin, no decay, no pain, no fatigue, a body with no depression, with no disappointment, with no disillusionment, a body with no addictions, with no disabilities, with no nothing but glory, but the glory of God. You guys awake out there? I don't know about you guys. That is exciting. That is why we wait eagerly and expectantly. So we have to come to this place where we have to ask ourselves, so what? If you're a first-time guest this morning, you're probably wondering, what is going on? So I have to ask myself this question every time I read the Word of God, and I have to ask myself this very important question after I read it and say, so what? And I don't mean it in any sort of irreverent way. I mean it in just this way that, God, I want you to reveal to me the truth of your Word. So God tells us that we need to not focus on the things of of this earth. We need to focus on the things of heaven. So what? How should that change the way that we live? There is a great problem in the church today. Our problem is not that there are too many Christians distracted by the hope of Christ's return. 
I don't think that's the case for any of us in here, that we are so consumed with Christ's return, and we're so eagerly and expectantly awaiting Christ's return that we're useless here. You know that, that he's so heavenly-minded that he's no earthly good? You guys heard that saying before? Nobody, nobody applies. The problem is so many of us are so consumed with the things of this earth that we have lost sight and lost our focus on our future, on our future glory, on our future transformation, on our future home. And the sad reality is we, when we lose sight of that, we begin to cast around and look for the things of this world to satisfy. I honestly believe that that's why I know for a fact in this room there are people that are hurting. There are people in need. Maybe you've lost a family member. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're hungry. Maybe you're looking for a job. Maybe it seems like your family hates you. Maybe it seems like you've lost everything in this world. And what do we do? We look around this world to fill up those gaps. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, it says, By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We cannot forget this this morning. Jesus, he has the power. Are you suffering this morning? Are you hurting? Are you feeling the enticement? Are you feeling the pull of the pleasures of this world? Are you in pain? Does it seem like your world is spinning out of control? Does it seem like you're in such a state of depression that you don't even want to get up out of bed in the morning? If that's where you are this morning, let me just say one thing to you. Take heart. Jesus has the power. He has everything that we need. We have to ask ourselves the question, if we're hurting, if we're falling apart, we have to ask ourselves, what am I waiting for? What am I trying to fill these gaps with? Am I trying to fill it with the things of this world? Am I trying to fill it with relationships? Am I trying to fill it with money, with jobs? Or am I trying to fill it with Jesus? We need to ask ourselves this question. What am I trying to fill this hole with? And we need to take everything that isn't the answer, Jesus Christ, and we need to throw it out. Because he has all that we need. He has the power. Matthew 28, 18 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This one that we eagerly await is the sovereign one. The author of Hebrews tells us that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Just by speaking, he upholds the universe. The author goes on to say the universe was created by the word of God. Psalm 33 says, For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. In other words, not only did Jesus create all of this, all of the universe, everything, me and you and everything that's in it, he also maintains it. 
If he were to forget for one second, everything would fall apart. All of it. He spoke to the storm, and it was still. He spoke to the lame, and they were healed. He spoke, and Lazarus arose from the grave. I love this. I've heard this said before. He says, if Jesus had not said, Lazarus, arise, then all of the dead of all of history would arise from the dead. If he had just said, arise. He had to be very specific. Just that, just you, Lazarus. We need to be very specific too. We need to understand that God has designed and determined and directs the course of history. And we need to be very specific. He designed and directs and determines the course of Michael Buffalo. Of Jen Kefauver. Put you on the spot there. Of Danny Touchton. He designs and directs the course of all of our lives. He has the power to do so. So why? Why would we try to fill the gaps and the holes that we have in our life with anything else but Jesus Christ? Here's the so what this morning. If you are hurting, if your life is out of control, if your life is spinning, Just know and trust that if God can hold the universe together by the power of his voice, then surely he can hold your life and my life together. Surely he can direct your path and my path. Surely he can protect you and me. We need to put our faith and our trust in God. If we believe this, If we truly believe this, we need to live lives differently. I am a sojourner. You are a sojourner. So let's live the lives of sojourners. Let's pray. Father, I pray with your son, Jesus, when he said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Father, your word tells us, as if we don't already know, your word tells us that we groan. All of creation groans under the pain of sin, like a mother that is burying a child. She groans. We groan longing to live in our heavenly dwelling, longing for a better country, a heavenly one, where God is not ashamed to be called our God. And just as the mother groans in the pains of childbirth, and new life comes, we hold on to the promise that though we groan in this life, though we face pain and suffering, and maybe we face persecution, and maybe we face danger and risk and threat, whatever it may be, it's only for a moment. And then new life comes. Father, I pray this morning for those that have not trusted in Jesus, 
for those that cannot eagerly await His return because they have not accepted Him as Christ, as Savior, as Lord. I pray that you would do only what you can do, that you would save them this morning. Father, I pray for those enemies of the cross of Christ that are in this room that come here maybe week in and week out and check off a box. They profess you with their mouth, but their hearts are far from you. Father, I pray that you would do only what you can do, that you would break their hearts. I pray that we would continue to weep for those that are here and that just check off a box. I pray that we would be there for them when you break their hearts. That they would no longer be enemies of the cross of Christ, but that they would be friends of God. Father, maybe we're, some of us in this room, we are, we know, we, we don't just profess with our mouth, but we profess with our lives and everything that we can, and yet we are still fallen humans. Maybe we have found ourselves in a place where we're spending too much time and focus on the world. And we're slipping away from you. Father, break our hearts. Return us back to you. Father, I know that each and every one of us in this room have business to do with you this morning. I pray that in these next few moments, as we take this song, as we sing it, I pray that we would our, all our focus would be on you. It changes everything. Father, I pray that you would change our everything. If we leave here today unchanged, then this message was a failure. Father, change our hearts. We pray and ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.